Welcome to the Ancient World Podcast. So in this episode, we're going to look at Canto 22. And this is a, another big moment in the whole journey through the paradise. It's where we are going from Saturn, the heaven of Saturn, and then up the ladder. And we're going, going to get to the heaven of the fixed stars. And there's a, it's a momentous moment when we get up there and uh, how Dante is seeing seeing his environment and uh, there's a new perspective coming uh, but first it's, it starts in uh, on Saturn uh, it's a bit longer than normal it's 154 lines and we're going to meet three people in, on Saturn with the, the contemplatives and then we're going to move up so from the ending of the last one there was this uh, thunderous sound that scared Dante and we left there on this little hook. So this one starts with shocked in amazement, like a little boy who always runs back to the one in whom he trusts the most. So I turned to my guide and she, just like a mother quick to help her pale and breathless son by giving him her voice, whose calmness always reassures, said, don't you know that you're up in heaven? And don't you know that all is holy here and every act here springs from righteous zeal? Imagine, had they sung or had I smiled, what would have happened to you then if now you are so shaken by a single cry? So this is the framing and the opening and the prologue of this canto. And so Beatrice is just saying that in some sense that <laughs> she's reminding him and saying by now you should know that we are in paradise we're in heaven you shouldn't be afraid of things because the things that are happening here are good things and they spring from the righteous seal and then she said this it's um so what dante is wondering in when he arrives on saturn is why is she not smiling and why is there no music and then the reason is that they're so far up so the intensity is too strong for him the, the love and the energy and the, the kind of the divinity and the light has become too strong for him. And then she repeats this topic and saying that if he can't even, <laughs> if it's too strong for him, this one little sound, then a full smile or the music would be much too strong for him. If you had heard the prayer within their shout, you now would know the vengeance yet to come though you will witness it before you die. So the vengeance, this is, so the, the, the big sound is when they are, uh, like the sound and the shout is <laughs> that they want the, the vengeance on the corrupt church and the cardinals and the Pope. So this is most likely then referring to Pope Boniface, and then the vengeance that so the story in the in the book is 1300 even if Dante is writing this about 13 17 18 so what is going to happen so Boniface is going to be the French king is going to invade uh, the papacy and uh, and torture Boniface and then he dies a few months later and then the French king moves the papacy to Avignon in France so this is likely what Dante is referring to here the sword of here on high cuts, not in hastes nor 
is it slow? Except as it appears to those who wait for it in hope or fear. But now turn your attention to the rest. If you allow my words to guide your eyes, many illustrious spirits will you see. As she directed me, I turned my eyes and saw hundreds of little globes of fire, growing in beauty through each other's light. I stood there like an anxious man restrained, forced to hold back the thrust of his desire, longing to ask while fearing to offend. And then the largest and the brightest one among those pearls came forward to fulfill my silent longing to know who he was. So now we're getting the first uh, soul that he's going to talk about, in, uh, talk with in this canto, which is Saint Benedict. Then from inside it, I heard words. If you could see as I do, with what love we burn, you would have shared your silent thought with us. But rather than to cause you some delay in reaching your high goal, I shall reply directly to the questions you hold back. So here we get back to the high goal, meaning the purpose of Dante and the book, which is to, to take the journey and understand the divine essence, which was what they saw as the purpose of life in the medieval uh, thinking and the medieval theology. The summit of that mountain on whose slope Casino lies was once inhabited by people with perverse and false beliefs. So now we're getting the story of Saint Benedict. So he He's important because he's the founder of monasticism in the Western Church. He was born in 480 by a noble Umbrian family, and then he has had his education in Rome. And then later he lived in a cave for three years, and then he became abbot in Vicovaro. And then he founded the monastery for Monte Cassino in 528. Uh, and it's also important to remember that the, the monastery he built was on... Um, the ruins of a temple for Apollo. So Cassino is between Naples and Rome. And also, so St. Benedict wrote the Regula Monacorum, which is, it became the rule of conduct for all the, the Western monks. And then with his order, it was important with manual labor and instruction of the young. So this is a little biography of St. Benedict. And then you can also just <laughs> how he talks about like the Greek gods, the Temple of Apollo, as uh, perverse and false beliefs. I was the first to carry up to them the name of him who brought down to the earth that truth which gives mankind the strength to rise. Such grace shone down on me that I reclaimed all the surrounding towns, converting them from pagan worship that seduced the world. These other flames were all contemplatives, men who were kindled by the warmth that breeds the flower and the fruits of holiness. So flowers and fruits here is ideas, religious ideas, and fruits is the works, the consequences of it. Here is Macarius and Romald. Here are my brothers who kept to their cloisters, and never roaming, kept a steadfast heart. So you have no, two more people. One is Macarius. He is then um, he's the founder of the Eastern monasticism. Saint Macarius the Younger of Alexandria. So he's the 
So Saint Benedict is is the founder for the Western Church, and Macarius is the founder for the Eastern Church, monasticism. And the second person, Romald, is from the Onesti family. He was born in Ravenna in 950, and then he lived as a hermit, and he founded an order that was sanctioned by Pope Alexander II in 1072. And he wanted a life, he, he was promoting a life in pure contemplation. So this is, because Dante is living in Ravenna when he's writing The Paradise, so he's referring to a, a local person who was a very important contemplative. And I to him, the love you have shown me in speaking this way and the good intentions I truly see glowing in all your fire, Allow my confidence to open wide. It grows, unfolding petals like a rose. Warmed by the sun, till now it is full blown. Therefore, I pray you, Father, please tell me, assure me, do I have sufficient grace to see the unveiled image of your face? So this is likely that he means that he wants to know or that he wants to see the soul in the true essence behind the radiance and the light. And this was a central question for the contemplative life and for the monks. Whereon he said, Brother, your high desire shall be fulfilled in the last sphere, for there not only mine, but every wish comes true. So now he's referring to the last sphere, which is the Empyrean, which is above the nine spheres. It's also the realm beyond time and space, which is pure light and uh, divinity. And this vision will then come as a reward uh, a little bit later after he ascends the, the ladder. For there and only there is every wish become a perfect, ripe, entire one. This is an example of Trinity. Three into one. Perfect, ripe, entire one there where each part is always where it was that sphere is in no space it has no pole and since our ladder reaches to that height its full extent is stolen from your sight it was the patriarch jacob who saw our ladder stretch to touch the final height the time he dreamed of it so thronged with angels so this is from the the old testament this is genesis 28 it's just one sentence. And he dreamed and behold a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Like we mentioned before, this is the moment where, where the channel is opened. But no man will lift a foot from earth and try to climb it. And my rule is worth the wasted parchment it is written on. So now St. Benedict is is complaining about how how like the loss of faith and then how his his order and the rule is worth less than the paper it was written on no one is is reading it and no one is following it the walls that used to be our abbey cells are dense for beasts now and the cowls monks wear are just so many sacks of rotting meal the greed of usury, however gross, offends the divine less than thus that holy fruit which drives the hungry hearts of monks insane. 
So he's now talking about uh, that taking usury is taking interest if you lend money, but that is a it's a less serious wrong than what they're doing when they're taking the money from from the church that's supposed to go to the poor people. So he continues and saying, for what the church has in its keeping should be for the poor who ask it in God's name, not for the families of monks or worse, meaning concubines or illegitimate children that the monks had. The flesh of mortals is so weak. On earth, a good beginning does not last as long as the oak springing to the acorn's birth. Peter built his without silver or gold, and I constructed mine with prayer and fast, while Francis, his convent, with humbleness. This is St. Francis. If you examine each one's origins, then look again at what became of it. You see the white has withered into dark, just like the general corruption and decay. Yet Jordan's waters at the will of God flowed backward and the sea fled, meaning the parting of the Red Sea, miracles far greater than if God now helped his church. So there's a positive note here that even the corrupted church, the, to heal the church and, and, and make it a healthy and good church again would be a less miracle than what has already happened. These were his words to me. Then he drew back into his company whose flames closed in. And like a whirlwind, they were swept on high. With a mere gesture, my sweet lady sped me up behind them, up the ladder's rungs, my nature conquered by her greater power. So now suddenly we are moving up the ladder. So this whole sphere of Saturn is very short. It's one and a half canto. And it's, uh, in some ways it's, it's showing the the speed of this, the trans- is, it is the transition point, but it's moving really fast. Down here on earth, where men go up or down by natural means, there never was a speed to match the motion of my wings up here. Reader, as I hope ever to return, here to this holy triumph, for whose sake I weep my sins and beat my breast, no quicker could you have pulled your finger from a flame and thrust it in. Then I caught sight and was already in the sign that follows Taurus. So in this brief moment here, we are suddenly beyond Saturn, last of the planets, and we're in the sphere of the fixed stars. It's almost a feeling that we're now suddenly in outer space, almost we're out of the solar system. And Dante is in his, the sign uh, of his birth, which is the twins, when he's saying Taurus. O glorious constellation, O mighty stars, pregnant with holy power, which is the source of all of whatever genius may be mine. So suddenly Dante is now, this is, there's a momentous shift in this for the whole book, that he's suddenly outside it and now he's invoking the powers of the stars. In the beginning it is Apollo and the Muses and Minerva, but now it's the stars and the constellation of, of the twins which was thought to have kind of huge influence on, on people's lives and there was a huge divine power in it. And he also, people th- thought that those who were born in the twins had an inclination to intellectual endeavors and the arts. 
in company with you there rose and sat he who is father of all mortal life when I drew my first breath of Tuscan air. And then, when that grace was bestowed on me to enter the great sphere that makes you turn, to your own zone of stars I was assigned. To you devoutly my soul breathes its prayer, to grant it strength enough for what is now the hardest phase to reach the journey's end. You are so close to final blessedness, said Beatrice, that you now must keep your eyes unclouded and your vision keen. So we're getting very close to the final moments of the whole book. And so before inciting further here, look down and see how vast the universe I have already put beneath your feet. So this is very symbolic for like, been through this journey and through learning and and gotten all this of this knowledge coming from Beatrice and the divine and as a like the spiritual knowledge and the universe put under his feet is, is all the learning and this, so he can also see the growth that he has gone through and that when we read it we also have been through this with him so we also know more what she's talking about when he's now suddenly looking down so that your heart, knowing the utmost joy, may greet that host of the triumphant who come in joy through this ethereal round. Ethereal is the divine in this context. My vision traveled back through all the spheres, through seven heavens, and then I saw our globe. It made me smile. It looked so paltry there. So just looking down through the seven spheres we've been through and then way down there, he sees this tiny earth. Which also is symbolic of the earthly life, the, the limited size of the earthly life, and then also how he has grown spiritually. So he sees it as something at a, at a distance, and then he also understands his own, that his, his size has expanded. I hold that mind as best that holds our world for least, and I consider truly wise the man who turns his thoughts to other things. So a reminder that he thinks the earthly life like it's is more is more wise to to pay your attention to to bigger issues, to more like philosophy, theology issues than the earthly life. I saw Latona's daughter glowing full. This is the moon. Without those shadows which had led me once to think that she was rare and dense in parts. So this is a reference back to the beginning, the first sphere, where he thinks the dark spots of the moon is about the density of the moon, before he learns that it's about the reflection of, like the varying degree of reflection of the divine light. On your son's face, Hyperion, my eyes could gaze, and I saw, circling close to him, how Maya and Dion's children move. So many things packed into this but so Hyperion is the father of Helios which is the, the Greek god of the sun so he's looking at the sun and he, he's now gazing into the sun and it's like he, he his eyes can gaze now and then it means that his his capacity and capability of absorbing more of the spiritual and, and the divine light and energy has grown so he can look at the sun and then circling close to him, 
he sees the children of Maya and Dion. So Maya is the mother of, um, of Mercury and Dion is the mother of Venus. So he sees Mercury and Venus. First the sun, then so it's like the fourth sphere and then he sees the second and the third. From there I saw the tempering of Jove. This is Jupiter. Between his son and sire, meaning his father. So Jove is the father of Mars and he is the son of Saturn, of Kronos. It's like it, from the Greek, so Kronos is the Titan and then he gives birth to uh, Zeus, which is Jupiter. And it was clear how they could change position in their course. So it's just, he goes through the Earth and then all the planets and the sun that we've been, that we have in the different spheres on the journey. All seven at one time were visible. I saw how vast they were, how swift they spun, and all the distances between the spheres. As for the puny threshing ground that drives us mad. So this is the earth. Threshing ground, he's, he's talking about farming or about like reaping the crops and the puny threshing ground is he's alluding to people being too concerned about just reaping the resources and and being engaged in this materialistic earthly life. I, turning with the timeless twins, saw all of it, from hilltops to its shores. She just sees the whole planet from the hilltops to the shores. Then, to the eyes of beauty, my eyes turned. So this is the ending of this canto. It's, it's interesting that it's just the eyes of beauty. It's not... Since Beatrice is more and more a symbol of of uh, of the divine knowledge and the divine revelation he's not seeing her face as beautiful like the eyes of beauty is also this portal into understanding and truth and more learning and he's now turning his attention like after having this quick glance down at the all the things he's been through and understanding the learning and that he's now grown grown in his uh, spiritual abilities and capabilities and now he's uh, turning the, the his view up towards the beauty which is that in this case it's just he, he wants to look towards the the, <laughs> the source of the divine and he's gone through this little threshold moment where he's ready to continue the journey and we are now in the eighth sphere of the fixed stars and in outer space in some sense so it's a uh, it's a it's a kind of a massive movement that Dante is doing in this canto of the book because he's wrapping up everything that was before and just saying that he's now ready to do the last part and we have this in mind that Beatrice said that we're almost there now so we're going to stop uh, stop it here for this episode um i hope some of this was interesting it's a um, it's a very different feeling it's it's even more abstract so it's a, a preparation like going up the ladder going through the transition it's a bit this it's not a vacuum but it's a bit of a it's a bit of uh having put something right behind you and before we started on what comes in the following ones okay so hope some of this was inspiring or interesting and as always thank you so much for listening and have a great day